Well, good morning. How's everyone today? Great to see you all, Bridgeway Congregation. Uh, for those of you who haven't met me yet, uh, my name is Don Fraze, and I'm your new transitional pastor, and it's a real privilege to be a part of your community, and I want to once again thank you for your incredibly generous and warm welcome in my first few weeks here. Now, thank you for Ryan for those incredible verses to kind of get us on course for the message today. And uh, I was just thinking, though, that it, this is a tough act to follow, those energetic camp guys. Like, but bless you, you men, awesome presentation and really exciting what God is doing out at West Bank and, and looking, looking forward to getting out there and, and getting a bit of a vibe of what West Bank is all about. So, well, this morning, as we uh, look into God's word, you also will see in front of me the communion elements. So at the conclusion of the service today, we're going to have communion together and some more worship together. So if you felt a little short-changed in the worship music today, there's going to be more at the end. So there's going to be some more, and we'll, we'll save some good time of celebration together as we, as we come to the table. But just so you, you kind of know that uh, that's coming up in the service. So this morning, I'm going to continue the series that uh, Pastor Darren and others have been leading you in over the last number of months in the book of John. And so today, we're going to go to John chapter 12, and we're going to kind of pick up the narrative from where Darren left us on Palm Sunday a few weeks ago. Now, before we dive in, though, um, I want to start out by asking you a question. And uh, if you'll be so bold and brave, I'm even, I might even get you to vote on this question today, because this question is something that gives a window into our personalities or our temperaments. So here it is. Now you're all nervous. So here's the question. Are you someone who prefers to be liked or prefers to be right? Okay, think about that. Are you the kind of person that it's more important for you to be liked or more important for you to be right? Okay, think about it. I see spouses judging each other already. <laughs> Now, of course, all of us like to be liked and all of us like to be right, but some of us are motivated by one or the other quite strongly. So are you ready? I, I just have to see, because this is my first psychological assessment of the congregation. So are you ready? So, okay, well, we'll start with those of you, and I'll admit, I'm on this side. I am the pathetic, like-to-be-liked person. So those of you that are like me, it's more important to you to be liked. Okay, good. I've got some other soft-hearted people in the room. Okay, and how about all of you that know it's really most important to you to be right? Okay, good. We've got some good principled people in the room too. That is why we are called the body of Christ and why we need all the gifts and all the ways that God made us. Now, I didn't ask you that question just for fun, although it was fun, um, but I wanted you to just kind of get a little bit of a picture of where we find Jesus in John chapter 12. So Jesus' ministry has been taking off. He's been doing all kinds of incredible miracles. And yet in the midst of doing all these incredible miracles and all of this great teaching, still people are doubtful and don't want to believe in him or trust that he's really the Messiah. So all of the Jews at the time that are trying to evaluate this Jesus guy, they're struggling with, do we like this guy? Can we trust this guy? Is what he's teaching us right you know, and so there's, there's a big tug-of-war with the people around this whole idea of who is Jesus and can we kind of trust him. So in John chapter 12, go down to verse 37, and it's the opening verse of our text today. It'll be on the screen, but it simply says this. Even after Jesus 
had performed so many miracles in their presence, they still would not believe him. So this part of John, John kind of turns now to be a little bit of a narrator or commentator. And he's basically now stepping back from the journey that Jesus and the disciples have been on. And he's now giving an assessment of what's gone on. And so it's actually a pretty sad statement, right? Even after Jesus performed so many signs in their presence. I mean, we've just had the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Like, you don't get much more powerful miracle than that. And yet, even with all of those signs, they still would not believe in him. Now, I don't know what you think when you think of that. I know what's easy, I think, for a lot of us, is we can kind of, when we're reading the Bible and reading the stories, we can go, what was wrong with those people? How come they were so dumb and just didn't get it? And I think we have to be really careful because I think that often we relate much more to the people that we're calling dumb and not getting it. You see, the biggest reason that it was so hard for the Jewish people to believe in Jesus, that he was truly their Messiah, was that everything about him and what he did was completely contradictory to what they knew or expected Messiah to be. And the people who were the most passionate about this were the most devout. The people who were the most committed to scripture, the people who were the most committed to the movement of God amongst their people, they were the ones that were the most messed up, right? Because they would be saying to you, I know my Bible, I know Torah, inside and out, and I know what Messiah is supposed to look like, and this guy doesn't look anything like it. You see, Messiah to them was supposed to be, and I, I sum it up with kind of a few R words. They wanted someone, and this is literal, they wanted someone that was going to bring revenge. They wanted someone that was going to bring rule. They wanted someone that was going to bring respect back to them as a people and as a nation. They wanted a conquering king that was going to get those terrible Romans out. And they could read you every verse from the Psalms about bashing their enemies and God cursing their enemies. And they were like, rah, 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 bring it on. That's what Messiah is supposed to be. Free us from this tyranny. Give us a leader. Let's Let's have our, our nation back and our temple back and let's matter again. Let's not be a dispersed people. Let's be a people that dominate and rule and matter in this world. That's God's heart for us. That's why Messiah is coming. And then who is this Jesus guy? Teaching crazy stuff like love your enemies? Are you kidding me? Leave revenge to God, that's not your role. Everything that Jesus lived and did, other than the great miracles and some of his teaching, just completely messed them up. And actually, maybe they started out annoyed, but how did they get to crucify him? Because they got really angry. Because this is not what they wanted. They did not want this kind of a kingdom. Now again, it's really easy for us to be judgmental on those people. How could they miss it? But I have to ask myself this question often, and I'm going to ask you this question. What kind of kingdom do we want? Do we want the kind of kingdom where we long for the good old days when Christendom ruled the world, and we could tell governments what to do and basically be the dominant force in religion in our culture and society? Is that the kind of kingdom we want? Is that the kind of kingdom that Jesus taught? what a lot of authors and scholars call the upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that makes no sense to the sensibilities of the world, 
or makes no sense to even most of our sensibilities. But that's the kind of kingdom that Jesus taught and was rejected for. And I think we are at a similar crossroads in our culture and as the church today. What kind of kingdom are we really longing for? Are we to march and stand up and fight for our rights or follow a kingdom that's all about laying down our rights? See, it's really difficult when we start to get there to understand what kind of kingdom. Um, just a, a quote from, a, from an author. Love the, this author's name. But he says this about the kingdom of God. He says, The kingdom of heaven is not the church. And it's not where God's people go after death. It is the realm where God rules and evil is powerless. Jesus announced that his kingdom was now at hand, meaning it is within our reach. The kingdom of the heavens has broken into our world and a new way of life is now possible. Do we truly want the kind of kingdom that Jesus taught? Do we want to be that kind of people? Do we want to be that kind of church? Now, let's go back to John 12, to these people that I'm suggesting are just like you and me, and read John's commentating now of how they've responded to Jesus thus far. So starting at verse 37 of John chapter 12. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, as we consider these verses, you may have noticed right away that there's kind of a tension here. And the tension is around what we would call unbelief, or what I'm going to call today spiritual blindness. Why were these people spiritually blind or suffering from unbelief? So here's the question. Was their blindness due to the fact that they couldn't see or that they wouldn't see? Just think about that for a moment. Was there spiritual blindness because they couldn't see or they wouldn't see? Now, years ago, when I was a kid at camp or a kid in youth group, we used to do this goofy skit to um, basically illustrate spiritual blindness. And it was super, super simple and easy to do. That's probably why we used it so much. But anyway, someone would come running on stage with their eyes as closed as hard as possible, and they'd be screaming, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. And then there would be an offstage voice that would just go, well, open your eyes. Wow. Okay, and you remember that skit? <laughs> it obviously impacted me. I'm remembering it from a lot of years ago. Is that not often the case? People, or me, we, we may be complaining that we don't see, we don't get it. And maybe God's just saying, well, open your eyes. See, was there a judgment on these people that resulted in some spiritual blindness? Absolutely, that's what John is pointing back to this prophet Isaiah. 
But a big part of it came from the fact that these people just didn't want to see. See, they had such preconceived ideas of how God should be and how Messiah should be. They so expected it to look like this that when, they, when it looked differently, they couldn't see it at all. Now, I have a silly example of how this happened to me this week. It was actually a very em- embarrassing story, and I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to use names, but I won't. But I was texting with someone here in the church, and uh, we texted back and forth a few times. And then the next day, I got one of these random texts. You know those texts that you get where someone's not in your contacts, but then they text you, but they don't tell you who they are? They just start saying stuff as if you know who they are and know what they're talking about? Anybody have those texts? Okay, so I get one of these texts, and right away, because I'd been texting this other person, I right away made an assumption. I know who this is from. And so, I just, just from the first line of the text, when the person said, oh, I got your number from so-and-so, I wrote, oh, okay, this is, of course, this person's spouse is who I thought it was. So anyway, I text back, um, and then I get another text back, where the person's laughing at me, basically saying, by the way, this is actually someone else. And anyway, it was a very embarrassing moment. Now, maybe that's never happened to you. Anyway, my point is, because I had a preconceived idea of who I was hearing from, I didn't even read closely enough to discern who this person really was. And I made a, because I had that, that presumption Everything in that text made sense to me that it was who I thought it was. Now, let me suggest to you that this is a huge danger for all of us as followers of Jesus, even when we read scriptures. Because we all have presuppositions. We all have ways we've been trained to think and feel, and we have our own slants and perspectives. And you know what? Sometimes, just like these people... We may miss a lot because we start reading with our own set of presuppositions, and so therefore we come to the conclusions that we want, not necessarily the ones that are always true. Now, I think that's just a fact. Here's what's hard. Do we have the humility in our hearts and spirits to admit that and to hold that loosely before our God? That it's his word and not our word and that we need to come to Scripture and come to the Lord with a lot of humility. But you see, that's, that wasn't happening here. These people were so set in their ways about what they believed and what Messiah should look like, what the kingdom should be, they were so convinced and so adamant about it and could prove it all from the Scriptures, and yet they were wrong. They missed their Messiah. They missed the greatest point in human history. And why? And you know what John tells us here through Isaiah? Because you know what? Spiritual blindness and unbelief led to something even more serious. And did you catch it in there? We sang about it this morning too. Hard-heartedness. You see, when we dig in our heels and get stuck in our ways because we're so convinced we're right, the biggest danger that can come to us is that our hearts get hardened. And it happens even before we realize it. We may think we're open and open to new things and new ideas and we may think we're teachable, but if we get entrenched, we run the danger of having a hard heart. And when we have a hard heart, 
we can start to be spiritually blind. And we think we're seeing, but we're like my goofy skit. We haven't opened our eyes to what God is really wanting to say to us. That's what happened to these people. So, right now it seems pretty, (laughs) not very good situation, right, that John's describing for us. Here's all of these devout religious people longing for their Messiah, and yet they're not sure they can believe in him. They're missing what he's doing. They're missing what the kingdom's all about. But I love the next verses, because verse 42 starts with the word yet. Even though it seems like there's this big judgment of spiritual blindness here, we get to verse 42, and it says this. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And then verse 43, which, I don't know about you, but there's always a verse in every text that is kind of like the dagger to my heart. Here it is. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. So here's the grace. The yet was that even though it seemed like the majority weren't believing because they were suffering from this unbelief, yet it says yet many did believe. And even many of the influential religious leaders believed. And, but the problem was, in their belief, they didn't want to openly acknowledge or be associated with Jesus or Jesus' followers in his movement, because that would have been embarrassing or exposing or got them into trouble, and because of their fear of man and everything else, it was like, we want to believe, but we're not sure we want to really be associated too closely with this guy or the people around him. And then John tells us why. Verse 43, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. That's a tough one. Now, I see there's a quote on the on, on, that was back a couple that I missed, guys, sorry. Wonderful PowerPoint people back there. I have to back up just a bit so you know why was that quote there. Uh, maybe you didn't see it. But when we're talking about um, perspectives and how... Anyway, it's from the ancient church father Origen who said, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Basically just another way to illustrate that point that we can all think we're seeing or receiving the same truth, and yet it could have two different results. For those who are open-hearted and humble, it can melt, and to those who are stubborn and entrenched, it can harden. And that's kind of where the judgment comes in based on our choice to how we are going to respond to Jesus and his word. So that's what, that's what was, was that about. Sorry, we'll, we'll jump, jump back to where we were. So in this next part of the scripture, we see mercy triumphing over judgment. People were still believing, but there was still a bit of this disconnect. Now, as I thought about this, and of course, lots of conviction for myself and maybe many of us with this verse 43, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. We all have to be humble in our spirits about how how we walk that out. But as I thought about this whole situation some more in my life, I've remembered many times when I've either felt, either in my own conscience or the Holy Spirit, but it's to do with this verse that Paul said where he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I hear within my own spirit, Don, are you ashamed of the gospel? Now some of you are getting really worried. Well, you're a pastor. You can't be ashamed of the gospel. 
Well, anyway, as I've had that question in my heart, I thought, okay, how do I respond to that? And so once I become my own defense lawyer, here's how the conversation with God in my heart goes. So this is what I'll say. I'll say, well, Jesus, I love you, and you are amazing, and everything about you, Jesus, two thumbs up, awesome. I am not ashamed of anything to do with you, Jesus. However, there's a lot of stuff in the church, and sadly, a lot of people in the church, I mean, I'm one of them, so who am I to cast any, <laughs> that I'm ashamed of sometimes. When I think of the atrocities of church history, when I think about all the churches that have split and fight and can't get along and there's just all of that kind of garbage going on, when I, there, there can be so many things that can make me cynical and negative about the church and to sometimes church people, even though I'm basically calling the, what is it, pot, kettle, black, anyway, one of them, guilty. But does some of you know what I'm talking about? But then I get more deeply convicted. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I a little bit like these Pharisees and devout Jewish religious people who they wanted to believe in Jesus because the miracles and the teaching seemed pretty awesome, but they weren't sure they wanted to be associated with him or associated with his followers, this ragtag group of losers. I don't want to be associated with those people. I... Did they, were they ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed of the gospel? See, here's the, here's the truth that has to get deeper into me. If Jesus calls the church his bride, if Jesus says that he laid down his life for his bride, if we, his followers, his church, the bride of Christ, if that's who we are, how can I say to Jesus, I love you and I hate your wife? I love you, but I'm ashamed of your bride. I think there's a disconnect there that I've got to deal with in my heart and spirit. If you struggle like me with some of that cynicism and pessimism at times, my heart goes out to you. Sadly, there's lots that we can be cynical about. But let's remember who our Jesus is and that Jesus is coming back for his bride. And that's all of us, all of us broken, wounded, dysfunctional, hurting, inconsistent Christians. Line up with me, I'm one of them too. But you know what? I'm a part of the bride of Christ, who Jesus died for and gave his life for. And I've got to find my way through that to not be ashamed of the whole gospel, Jesus and his church together. And my heart goes out to you if this is your struggle, but I encourage you. Let's embrace what Jesus embraced. Because remember, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's got a mission and a goal. And can Jesus not see through every one of our veneers? Can he not see through all the hypocrisy of our institutions? You think he can't see all the evil and negativity and things for us to be cynical about? Absolutely he can. And yet, in the midst of that, he's going, it's my bride. I gave my life for her, and it's my way of reaching this whole earth with my kingdom is through that messed up thing called the church. And so I just want to inspire you again to believe in the bigger picture, even as we struggle with the realities of what we go through. So, more like these devout religious Jews than we think. 
So let's finish off the text here. Verse 40, so 42 to 43 I just read. Now verse 44. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I've spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that this is his, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Now, if you understand what Jesus is trying to say here, is he's, in some ways I feel like he's letting out all the frustration of, do you guys still not get what I've been trying to say to you all along? Open your eyes, right? Because all along, the religious people and leaders kept saying to Jesus, show us the Father. Show us God. Show us the Father. And Jesus would over and over again try to say things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you don't believe that, don't the mirror... Like, the people could not get over the fact that this human being in front of them, that totally wasn't the Messiah they expected, and yet this human being that was such a disappointment was making claims to say, I and the Father am one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can you understand why that was so difficult for them to make that connection? Now, for those of us who've grown up in the church and are very familiar with how we believe the Trinity, you know, that God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we have an understanding of three different persons making up one God, we understand that Jesus is God, we're comfortable and even good with that, you've got to understand why that was so hard for them. But you know, sometimes in our context, we have to ask ourselves too, how do you see Jesus? And I told you earlier that it's easy for a lot of us to be like, you know, well, it's, 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 on one hand, it's really easy, easy to be all about Jesus, right? Because everything we read about Jesus in the Gospels is about forgiveness and compassion and peace and kindness. And, and so that's awesome, right? When, when we think about God or God the Father and we read all of the stuff in the Old Testament... A lot of people get really messed up, right? Because sometimes a God in the Old Testament seems pretty vindictive and pretty angry and pretty rough compared to how we see Jesus. So what do we do with that? Is it just kind of like, oh, Jesus is God soft and the Old Testament is God hard? Or I'm not sure I can go into all of that today. <laughs> However, let me suggest this to you. Have we forgotten as Christians in our time, that Jesus is not just a revelation of God. Jesus is the number one best, most awesome revelation of God. God himself became human and dwelt among us. The incarnation every Christmas. That is the greatest miracle. If you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what God, how God thinks, how God feels, Jesus now, maybe to some of you that sounds oh so typical and like, well, what's the big deal, Don? 
The big deal is this. Just like the New Testament writers, when we look at the Old Testament, we have to be really careful how we view God and how we interpret all of the Old Testament because we are believers in Jesus. We are Christians. We are Christ ones. We are New Testament believers. Just like the apostles and the early Christians, we have a new lens called Jesus. And so every time we look at the Old Testament or anything to do with God in ways that we don't get or understand or don't connect with, we look through the lens of Jesus. And it's so important that we do that because we have a world today that doubts so much of our movement because they think that we are for an angry, vindictive God. And they think they can prove it from the Old Testament stories. I'm not trying to explain away anything that happened in the past, but I'm saying as followers of Jesus, our number one revelation of God is Jesus. Jesus trumps all the time. If you want to know what God would do, what God is like, Jesus. And I make this point so strongly because when we talk about the kingdom that Jesus taught, let's not be like those people because we're wishing for something else. I mean, I think sometimes we're even conflicted when we sing a song like The Lion and the Lamb. Beautiful quote from Revelation. And Jesus is the lion and the lamb. But I think for a lot of us, we're like, bring on the lion. Come on, Jesus. Come back and defeat all the evil in the world and bring all those evil people in line and destroy all the things that are bad about. That's, we want that, Jesus. Bring, bring on the lion. We don't want this mamby-pamby lamb stuff. I don't know. What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus model? What do we read about Jesus in the Gospels? And even when you're in Revelation, Jesus is the lion because he has the authority. But does Jesus want to roar through the world and destroy? No. What did Jesus say? I came to save. I came to love. I came to bring forgiveness. I came to break chains. Jesus did not come because he wants to roar through the, through the earth and be our conquering hero. See, that's what happened to the Jews. They missed their Messiah because they wanted the conquering hero rather than the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and that brings in broken people like us and the rest of our hurting world out there that needs a church and a Christianity that represents the kingdom and Jesus. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. If, you're a, if your background is Mennonite brethren, like, like this church's denomination and, and our Anabaptist roots, was, was people that lost their lives over standing up for peace and standing up for freedom and standing up for things that were nothing like the Christendom of the day, but were about this radical upside-down kingdom we call the kingdom of God that Jesus taught. What kind of kingdom do we want? All right. So there's, there's one more thing to say about this text before we, before we move to communion. And do you remember how John kept quoting Isaiah and how Isaiah had predicted the people's hardened hearts and how they would reject Messiah because of their unbelief? But he says something really interesting in verse 41 because it says that Isaiah said all this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Okay, wait a minute. Isaiah the prophet lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born. So how on earth could John say that Isaiah could say all this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him? 
Now, if we believe that Jesus is fully God, and I sure hope, church, that we do, then, of course, he did pre-exist. And just like Jesus was saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. When Isaiah had his spectacular vision of the glory of God, that's Jesus. That's what John is telling us here. Have you ever read this passage thinking that thinking of Isaiah describing Jesus? I, I have these, these uh, on, on slides from Isaiah chapter 6, verses uh, 1 to 3. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I believe what John is saying here is that Isaiah was seeing Jesus here. The King of glory. Do we fall on our knees and cry holy, holy, holy to Almighty God? Almighty God who humbled himself to become one of us, to finally set the record right for centuries. We saw God through our image, through all of the pagan religions around, the Jews and, and passivalizations, they would borrow all kinds of ideas and imagery of God and thought that Yahweh was in their image, thought that Yahweh was like that. Yahweh had to be like the other gods because our God can beat up on your God, so we've got to win. My suggestion to you is, is I'm not, again, I'm not trying to doubt any of the truth and the value and the beauty of the Old Testament, but my suggestion to you is how much of that was so ingrained in all of their cultures and ancient histories of how they viewed the gods and so finally Yahweh said, I'm going to come and I'm going to show them who, who I am. Yes, I am the Holy One, like we read here, that needs to be worshipped in awe and reverence. But that's our God and that's Jesus. The one who you know is the Lamb. The one who laid down his life. The one who wants to give you life. The one that wants to build his church. And you know, I, I love the imagery that we sang of this morning about the battle we're in. But remember, our battle's not flesh and blood. Our battle's not against people, either in the church or out. Our battle's not against governments and institutions and, and things that we don't like or, do, or agree with in our nation. That's not the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is spiritual. And... And Jesus, the kingdom, was about defeating the powers of Satan so that the true kingdom of God, the one that Jesus taught, the one that Jesus modeled, the one that Jesus wants his church to live out, that's the kingdom we live for and die for. So, wow, too much preaching today. 
We'll simmer her down here and come to the table. But So my final response questions for you as we meditate on this text. Are we seeing Jesus in his image or our image? Question two. Do we crave the approval of others or God? And question number three. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I willing to be associated with Jesus' bride, the church, and believe in her? I call you to that today, my dear new sisters and brothers here at Bridgeway. Can we believe in the church that Jesus died for, gave his life for? And can we rise up and long for a kingdom and long for it in humility and openness, knowing that we serve this amazing Jesus? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, my heart is so full of awe and wonder of you. Lord, forgive me for thinking I know some things when I know I know so little. You are so marvelous and so beyond any of our human comprehension. And so, Lord, I just ask forgiveness for my pride, for where I'm suffering from spiritual blindness. And Lord, I just pray over my new friends in this room. And Lord, for any of us that are crying out in our hearts, forgive us for our spiritual blindness. Forgive us for our pride. Open us up afresh and anew to what you want to say to us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, open up our eyes to see you who you really are. And Lord Jesus, we pray together, would you transform your church? Would you bring healing? And would your kingdom come and your will be done here among us in this place. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.